Hello, 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 and welcome to another fabulous episode of Broadway Babble with me, Matt Berry. On this episode, I want to welcome back another repeat guest, my friend and vaudeville aficionado, Hannah Wheeler. Now, why is vaudeville so important to this episode? Because it has to be. Vaudeville is at the center of this week's musical, Gypsy. Gypsy premiered in 1959 at the Broadway Theater, currently housing the 2020 revival of West Side Story. Gypsy has a book by Arthur Lawrence, music by Jules Stein, and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. It tells the story of Mama Rose and her two kids, June and Louise, famously known as Gypsy Rose Lee. Mama Rose is a quintessential stage mother trying to make her daughters famous in 1930s America. The musical is based on Gypsy Rose Lee's real-life memoir. The original production starred Ethel Merman as Mama Rose and was nominated for eight Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Actress, and ultimately losing to The Sound of Music and Fiorello in a historic Tony Award tie. The most recent production was in 2008, starring Patti Lapone as Rose and Laura Benanti as Louise. We will be using this cast recording as the basis of our analysis. So, without further ado, let's babble about Broadway. Thank you so much for coming on to Broadway Babble. I know listeners will recognize your voice from the She Loves Me episode, but why don't you quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, um, my name is Hannah. Thank you again so much for having me on to talk about Gypsy today. I had so much fun talking about She Loves Me and I'm excited to talk about another show that I love. So yeah, I'm an actor in New York. I went to school for theater and musical theater is my love. So why don't you tell us what was your first introduction into Gypsy and why do you love Gypsy so much? So I actually did a community theater production of Gypsy in college. Um, I don't remember what year, but it was like a youth theater production and it was super fun. And I was, I was an ensemble track. I did Oh, I was one of the Tori Adorables and like a bunch of other things. And it was really fun. And I didn't know anything about the show before I did it. And I wasn't super enthusiastic prior to auditioning, I remember, because it wasn't like up until then I had been doing like big, flashy, like, you know, typical like high school, college type shows like Bye Bye Birdie or mm-hmm. Sue School, you know, um, Guys and Dolls, that sort of thing. But Gypsy was a little bit, it was totally new to me. Um, but I loved the plot. And I love the history. Like the more I looked into the show, the more I realized how much history surrounds it, like in terms of American theatrical history within the show, but also like the place that the show itself holds in musical theater history. So it quickly became one of my favorite shows. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's the Gypsy is one of those shows that is so iconic. And I also think it is one of the greatest musicals and for actresses specifically, like over a certain age, it is like a holy grail of a role to be in the show, but to play Mama Rose. And we'll talk about that now. Oftentimes, Mama Rose is considered like the Lady Macbeth or the King Lear of coveted musical theater roles, roles because she is so complex. And we have to give credit, obviously, to Ethel Merman, who was the original uh, Mama Rose in the original 1959 production, which played in, in New York and was a smash success. Yeah, I first came into Gypsy through my love and adoration for Patti LuPone. 
this was my first entrance into Gypsy when I was listening to her version of Rose's Turn. And immediately I was like, oh, this is a show that I love. Yeah, I think one of the reasons that I hadn't known too much about it um, prior to auditioning for it was that the songs are not particularly catchy as standalone songs. Mm -hmm. I actually had, actually, um, I had a a CD growing up of like, you know, kids theater songs and Let Me Entertain You was on it. So I actually did know that song and obviously it's super catchy, but the songs as standalones, a lot of them aren't like earworms. So I came to appreciate them all so much more in the context of the show. Absolutely. And that's what, what's important to mention with, and then we'll dive right on in, but it's important to note with Gypsy that it is, not only is it widely considered one of the best musicals ever written, but it is the best book musical. It moves so seamlessly between songs and to quote Patti Lapone and Barbara Streisand, who both say the same things. There is no fat in the show at all. There's no fluff pieces. Everything is directly correlated and drives it. Even if it's a small break of a song between two moments, it still serves a purpose and not just a filler. So then to jump right on in, and perfect that you mentioned this song already, we have the first song, Let Me Entertain You, which like you said, it is a very catchy song and it is performed by June. And her uh, vaudeville troupe. But what's important, at least with this opening, is we get the perfect entrance for Mama Rose. She comes in with a toy dog, or an actual dog in the stage. Obviously, it's a prop. Then controlling and micromanaging. And you start to see the birth of the stage mom. What do you think of choosing to open musical with a a simpler song like this rather than a big flashy opening number? So I know that a big part of golden age musicals and like this type of musical is quickly establishing the scene and the world of the, the play. And I mean, even before that, like the overture kind of serves that purpose to like prepare our ears for things we're about to hear throughout the evening. Um, but then it like, you know, the first number starts and we immediately see the, these main characters. We immediately see their relationships. We immediately begin to make predictions as to how their arcs are going to travel Mm -hmm. throughout the rest of the show. So I think it's a really effective way to kind of quickly set the scene for the rest of the show. Yeah. Especially just everyone knows the trope of the, the overbearing stage mom. And so the moment you see Rose enter, you're like, I know who this woman is. Whether or not you know her from TV, movies, or sadly sometimes a personal connection to that. But it does, it sets it up very, very Because the song, Let Me Entertain You, comes up so many times within this show. So we won't spend too much time on the opening because then we, what happens is Rose has a dream about June um, making it big on the Orpheum circuit. And she's like, okay, this guy tells us that we need $88. It's a lot of money back then. We're in the world of like the 1930s to get new pictures taken, new sets, new costumes. And Rose is trying to convince her father to give her the money. And she starts the song, Some People. Get up and get out! Which I really think is just a great entry song for Rose because the song is basically Rose telling her father that I am not, I I am different from everybody else. I am separate. But she keeps saying like, But some people ain't 
it just kind of goes on a rapid fire. Why do you think this is a great song as a first musical introduction into Rose? I think this show is so interesting. There are a whole bunch of main characters in this show, but really it's about Rose and her journey. And I think it's atypical for older mother character to be the like center of attention in a golden age musical. And like it's generally more about the younger characters and like they're kind of growing up. So I think it's it's really solidifying the fact that like this is the main character of the show. We're going to be on her journey. This is what she wants. This is what she's going to do. She's kind of describing herself. And I think it's also like the way that it's written is kind of illuminating in the sense that like, you know, she's pattering off about all these different things and and that's kind of her brain is in 500 different directions, but she's like set on this one goal. Yeah, and she really does. And you hear it in the music, which I really love is when it gets to kind of that climax of uh, when she sings, when she's holding these notes, you hear the orchestra just start to ascend rapidly in pitches. And it's like her, her mind is just swirling and always thinking forward and always think is up, which I think is so, so interesting. And then it gets juxtaposed when it gets to the famous part that's repeated three different times. I had a dream. The orchestra backs away and Rose is just kind of sharing her dreams. And I always thought that was her tunnel vision because the orchestra like can't keep up because Rose is just so go, 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 go. I have to move forward. I have to make my daughter famous. And I just kind of imagine the orchestra going like, ooh, crazy lady, let me back away. <laughs> yeah, you totally read my mind. It's, it's completely her, like her one track mind. Like she's going to just keep on going and going and going no matter what the other people are going to do. And that's a really good introduction to this character because that's exactly what she does throughout the whole show. Yeah, and it's fantastic because um, we, even though we see Rose do going for this, we still as an audience member, we're not like, ooh, that's like, we don't lose sympathy for her. We immediately go like, okay, I'll see where this goes. This one tidbit that I love that I just discovered this morning and doing research is in the original recording, so there's the line where Rose directly asks, Only 88 bucks, Papa. You ain't getting 88 cents from me, Rose. In the recording, and the original recording, did you know that Stephen Sondheim, he's saying the line. I didn't know that. Because That's the so stage funny. manager forgot to call that actor. What? That's so funny. I love little trivia like that. It's amazing. And now it's just like, oh, there's Stephen Sondheim duetting with... <laughs> Ethel Merman, I guess. We just have to, I think this score in general, especially for Rose's songs, is chocked full of amazing endings. And some people, that ending just really solidifies it. It's just such an epic and standard and classic like musical theater, I want song ending. Because this is her I want song. But it's just so like, quintessential theater. I love it specific moment but I do just like that like the kind of rhythm of it I don't know that like driving rhythm is like what's the word it's like um propelling yeah it's like it's driving the song forward but it's also like I listen to it and I'm like I want to go get you know what I want like I want to go follow my goals and like it's it's inspiring in a way which seems kind of weird to say because she's like not this great character like I don't want to go you know exploit my daughters but like (laughs) thank god it's her passion really shows through like that character's passion really shows through in that song in the way that it's written and I think that's you know inspiring in a way and what I always love in the stage productions is 
the father's obviously is like, no, nothing for you. But then Rose grabs a gold plaque from the wall that she's going to use to get the money. And it's just a small, like, kitschy moment as she, like, walks out the door. They're like, like, oh, we are in a musical comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do also think, like, I, again, I wanted to distinguish between myself and Mama Rose because, again, not exploiting my daughter is for money. But <laughs> I relate to the song because she, the whole point of the song is that she's not about that, like, traditional lifestyle. She, you know, has these dreams. She wants to follow them kind of at all costs. And as someone who is also pursuing a dream that is not necessarily a traditional lifestyle or career, um, I definitely relate to it. So I like the overall message of the song it's a killer song the typical life isn't for everybody yeah i like to think i would have been a vaudeville star if it was around oh 100 percent like let's bring it back 100 percent. it's the 20s again let's do it (laughs) (laughs) true it is yeah and so then what i like is we get a a cute little song right after small world which comes after uh rose meets herbie a retired manager and rose is then doing everything she can and in the wikipedia synopsis it says using her feminine wiles to convince herbie to become her man uh the kids manager when listening to it i do always forget that that's the reason why rose is singing this song i always just think like oh it's a romantic song of flirtation but it's rose literally trying to get what she wants and when you listen to the lyrics rose is a bit aggressive like there's the one line that never always made sense but it was just so stupid it's it was a lucky i'm a woman with children small world isn't like well rose that's half the population most people have children and she's like that's point number one for flirtation and it's just yeah, so intriguing think, so this is like the the introduction of female protagonist Herbie, who in a more traditional plot would be the romantic counterpart to the female lead and in a sense is, but you're right, Rose is fully manipulating him. She's kind of like proving that she's willing to go to any length to, you know, get her daughters ahead and that, and that she has no problem mixing her personal life with her, with her business one. Um, I mean, she already kind of showed that when she asked her dad for money, but she's further showing like you know she's she's willing to marry somebody or lead somebody on just to get her daughters ahead in turn getting herself ahead yeah no exactly and there's even the one line that i always forget because it always again it, it sounds cute but it's really not it's like pool our resources by joining forces from now on. Which is like, oh, cute. Like, you're going to be together. And it's also like, no, Rose also wants his money to help propel forward and yeah. to make June a star. And I think she, in the musical, I think she's been married twice already. Yeah, she's been t- married twice yeah, already. she's been married twice. This is like potential husband number three. She's clearly not a traditional, you know, woman of the times. Um, And Herbie's a total pushover. So like right from the start, it's clear that Rose has the upper hand in that relationship, which is again, not a typical like relationship dynamic of the 1920s. Oh, a hundred percent. And like you said, with Herbie being a bit of a pushover, Herbie, he's a very 
quiet character in the entire show. Like you said, he's not the big like romantic lead. He's not like um, uh, George Novak in She Loves Me, where it's like singing the big romantic songs that are fun. It's he's just kind of like there and is almost like a like a welcome mat essentially for Rose to just rub her feet on to enter the house. He's yeah, he represents he represents the like normalcy of like what they could be, and like he's the totally normal, average, safe dude who is like offering not much but you know at the end like you know he's he's to louise at least he's offering the world like he's offering stability he's offering like love but that's clearly not it's not what rose wants rose wants rose wants a uh you know paycheck and someone to help her get ahead and not only that she wants fame she wants people to know her or even just her daughter's name regardless of the paycheck too what I also think is really interesting with this song is two important things just with the era is I think this is a great song for Rose specifically because we had just, we've only seen aggressive sides of Rose already. And then even though she's still aggressive, the song does soften her up a little bit to the audience. And it's only until that second listen or you're listening closely to the lyrics when you realize she's still aggressive. But for a basic theater go, uh, audience member, it's a little break and we kind of start to sympathize a little bit more with Rose and be like, oh, there's a romance. We can settle into this. Yeah. I mean, I think that's also like, you know, it goes hand in hand with her saying she's not a typical woman. She's not, you know, looking for that typical life. Um, she's, and this, you know, that's based on the source material. Like Rose as a real person was clearly in charge of her relationships, um, regardless of like the cultural or gender norms of the like 1920s yeah and it, and it's again it's also it's uh, going against the gender norms and i think the sh- the song serves a great purpose as a palate cleanser for what's going to come next and there's a little interlude with vo- a bit of vaudeville but I'm, we're going to come back to that with the um, with the older june and the broadway sequence because i think that's where we should talk about that more but we get this song which Sondheim, who wrote the lyrics, absolutely hates this song. And Sondheim, he hates uh, have an egg roll is, this song is one note, repeated. It's really just have an egg roll, Mr. Goldstone, told in different ways. But that's kind of what I like about it. And I want to, do you, do you enjoy this song? Or is this song like you never listen to? I don't listen to it a lot, but when I do, I remember how much I like it, if that makes sense. It's just catchy. And I think listening to it, like just listening to it, doesn't do it much of a service besides, or as opposed to like watching it performed. Cause like in, whenever I've seen this performed, it's been like, there's so much going on. Like there's chaos on stage, they're running around, it's frantic. Like, and it's so much, it's, you know, so enjoyable just to like experience. Yeah, because for context with it, everyone, Mr. Goldstone is a producer or talent booker for the Orpheum circuit, which at this point is Rose's dream for the girls. Her and her troupe are all in like one motel room because they do everything on the cheap. And Mr. Goldstone comes knocking on the door to try to book June. And this is also where it comes back to some people a little bit where Rose is like, I'll give you anything you want. And she literally asks, do you want an egg roll? Mr. Goldstone. And then the chaos you're talking about, which I love, is everyone on the stage is scrambling to either put on a little show for him. Because at one point, um, Rose is like, I'll have June recite a poem. Like, what do you want? Or like, try to just find little things for him to do. 
which is just so funny. My favorite line is comes halfway through when the chaos really picks up. Have a ghost on, Mr. Eggbro. Tell me any little thing. I love that part. It's just so stupid, but I, I, I like love it. And this song, I think, is an example of songs that drive the plot forward and like is necessary, but don't have any other purpose besides the plot. There's no character development. We've already seen Rose is willing to do it at anything, and we will continue to see it throughout the entire show. There's also no way you could have Gypsy with this song cut. I know you said you haven't listened to um, to it in a while, but besides the Have a Gold song, Mr. Eggroll, is there any line that you're just like, that you sticks out that you remember that you're like, oh, that's that's still funny? Yeah, I associate this song mostly with the staging of it. And just like, yeah. there's so much going on and like, there's so many words and she's offering him like all this Chinese food and it's just so absurd. And I'm sure like jarring for him to walk into this absolute okay. chaos. It's totally jarring. Um, <laughs> And then we get afterwards, I think one of the most tender and like heartbreaking songs of the entire show. We get Little Lamb. What do you think is important about the song Little Lamb? Like, why do you think it is where it is? And why is it so heartbreaking? This song is so heartbreaking. It comes right after Mr. Goldstone, which is this like, insanity as we just talked about and you know the whole focus of mr goldstone is louis is sorry is june and mama rose is you know pushing june to go be a star and like doing everything she can possibly do to make sure that june is a star and then cut to louise and it's her birthday and she's sitting there fully by herself with this lamb that she got and which is a great present i think yeah great present (laughs) who doesn't want a lamb (laughs) but i think it's it's case in point like she's she wants this like simple life she wants to know how old she is so i wonder how old i am it's the only line that's repeated twice in the song and it like really you know clarifies like she doesn't know how old she is and she just kind of craves normalcy and like she's had this you know fantastical life and literally just wants to know how old she is um i also think it's it's a surprise because so this is the first time we hear Louise really sing, like by herself. Yeah, and even then she's it. singing. It's so light. Yeah, and, which Laura um, Benanti does beautifully. She does. Yeah, she was great in this role. But we've heard from Mama Rose this entire show that Louise is super untalented, and then she sits there and sings this like beautiful song. Um, so I think it's, it's less about the fact, this kind of shows that it's less about the fact that Louise is untalented, more about the fact that she doesn't want the spotlight, you know, she's not, she's not star material, but that has nothing to do with, I, that was air quoted by the yeah. way, but that has nothing to do with her talent. Um, she just wants a simpler, like more normal traditional life. Yeah. And one thing that I love, and I do believe this when I was doing my research, especially with that line is it also comes into not only literally not knowing how old she is, but the fact that they're now like teenagers and still playing kids. Rose isn't giving any attention on birthdays because she's like, no, you're a kid. You're, you're a child. And the one line besides, obviously, I wonder how old I am, that um, always makes me like not quite get emotional is um, when she's talking to a cat and she sings, um, oh, why do you look so blue? 
she has no me happy memories with birthdays. Um, and so she's sad, and you hear it in the music because it's very tender. I, I always, always think of it as almost um, a lullaby, and it's kind of Louise just kind of trying to like placate her emotions. Like she's letting them feel it, but then it's like, okay, well, lullaby, like just kind of put the emotions to bed. And you have this one moment alone, feel yourself, let your emotions rage, but you can't let mama know. Yeah. So this actually was based on like fact. Um, the, the real June and Louise didn't know when their birthdays were, um, didn't know what year they were born, um, which is so fast. I'm so fascinated did by not know that. Yeah. So I. I am so I've always been really fascinated by like vaudeville culture and like early vaudeville stars and stuff and so this musical is like great for me because it's right all up the that. alley um, <laughs> but yeah so um the real mama rose uh didn't she had different copies of their birth certificates made in order to get out of different labor laws and stuff like that um and they didn't actually really know what year they were born so that was true. So a lot of this musical wow. is obviously like, it's a musical fable. It's not- Which I do love that it's called a musical yes, fable. Yes, it's not totally based on fact, but there are certain little tidbits of information in there that are no. factually accurate. Because it so. is based on the the actual, the famous stripper, Gypsy, Gypsy Rose. Uh, Gypsy, Gypsy Rose Lee. Oh yeah, it is the actual name. I couldn't, didn't know if the last name was changed. Um, and uh, there's a great, she wrote a memoir which originally also the musical was supposed to be about Louise, but Arthur Lawrence was, he read the story of a, a story about Mama Rose and her interaction with the kids. I was like, no, this story is about Rose. And I do just love that. And then the, the title is still Gypsy, even though it's about Mama Rose. But with Little Lamb to kind of wrap that up, I also just love that it's so tender and quiet, which matches Louise's personality just so beautifully that it, it's, it's very quiet and reserved. And the ending I always love because there are like small brass instruments, but they're very muted and it's very quiet and just fades right away. And it's just like you said, it's just such a heartbreaking song. Especially now knowing yeah. that it's really based on reality. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so this is like also the first kind of blatant indication that Louise isn't happy because um, she's sitting there saying, I'm not happy. Um, and I think that's kind of setting up, setting up more of her character arc later on in the musical. Um, it's kind of planting that idea in our head that she's not happy. Like, what's she going to do about it? Is she going to leave? Is she going to stay? Her. Who knows? But we do know. <laughs> um, and stay tuned when we come back after this short break. And we're back. So then, kind of right after that, Herbie proposes to Rose. And Rose is like, no. Sorry, Poor Herbie. Herbie. <laughs> Herbie goes through a lot. Poor Herbie. He's like this sweet little man who just wants, he's like fallen in love with this dynamic woman. And he believes her when she says that she wants to be with him. But like, she's just using him. Uh. And it's heartbreaking. But so then what I love is Herbie is like, well, if you're not going to marry me, I'm going to leave. And Rose is literally just like, no, not going to marry you. But you ain't going to leave. And again, the, just like um, 
some uh, small world. This song is very, it's very built, very cute. The music is very light, light and airy. It's a little like trumpets here and there, a nice melody. But when you look at, and when you hear like, oh, you'll never get away from me. It's like, oh, like, oh, we're never going to be without each other. How cute. But then when you realize it's Herbie trying to say, well, if there's nothing here, I'm going to leave. And then Rose is like, no, you ain't. We, again, we see this aggressive side and how Rose can truly manipulate the people around her. And it's masked so, so beautifully. Um, do you think this song shows more character for Rose or more about Herbie in this song and the um, way that the arc of the song? I'm looking at the lyrics again. Yeah. <laughs> I have all of mine up too. Don't worry. Yeah. I didn't think to pull those up. I like pulled up the plot and stuff. Okay. Sorry. Um, Don't worry. Bette Midler lyrics. We love her. This, okay. Oh, <laughs> I think, hmm, I do think this song is very similar to um, Small World. World. I did, because I keep um, wanting to say some people. Me too. Um, it, it clearly, again, shows their relationship dynamic. I think at this point it's escalated a little bit because, um, you know, at the first point, uh, during uh, Small World, they weren't together. It was basically a proposal of like, let's join forces. Let's like start this relationship. And now they're, they've met some issues. They've had some conflict and they're like in the midst of this like point of contention almost, or like this transition period, they could either like get married or he's going to leave. And yet choose your own adventure. (laughs) She's so, yeah, she's so manipulative that she's basically like, I'm going to, do whatever I want and you're just going to be along for the ride. And not only that, she's like, I'm going to have, I'm going to do already what I want and manipulate you into following, even though that's, you gave me the ultimatum, but I'm picking the third option that you don't see. Yeah. I think that, I think this is more telling of Herbie because I, I mean, I personally am not surprised when Rose says this. We know she's manipulative. She's been manipulative this entire time. But Herbie didn't know that necessarily as much. Um, At least the first time. Like, we knew when she sang Small World that she was manipulating him, but he didn't. But now she's literally saying, like, You'll never get away from me. You can climb the tallest tree. I'll be there somehow. Still choosing to stay. So. Yeah, and it's also like, we also have to mention Herbie leaving. The reason why she's so adamant for it is it then means that June has no manager and no one to help book. And that's why I love the line. But a little thing like that couldn't stop me now. Because again, it sounds so playful as like, oh, like, oh, you snore in your sleep. That's not going to make me want to leave. But then it is a big thing. Like, then you have no manager and no prospects with making it to the height of vaudeville because they're on the Orpheum circuit right now. And it's just so interesting. And then my favorite part is towards the middle when oh, Herbie is saying his reasons for leaving. Your chickens. I warn you. I'm not listening, la-di-da. That's also my favorite part. 
it's great because again it has the air of being just cutesy of like oh she just wants to dance she's having the time of her life and then again you listen to the lyrics and it's herbie saying he's going to leave and rose literally just ends it with shut up and dance all right madam i guess i'm staying is there anything that you really like about either this point in the musical or this song before we continue I think it's just showing that their relationship has never progressed. You know, they're still having issues. She's still manipulating him. He still is holding out for her to settle down. Um, Their intentions have not changed with each other, but neither of them are budging. Yeah. And it's, again, this is the prime example with this song of why this show works so well as a book musical. Because you see the fight and the proposal and then, it just bleeds right into it. There's really, there's a bit of a vamp, but it's not like what you'll see with uh, other big musicals. And each lyric is so specifically written and that's classic Sondheim. Again, there's no, there's no fat on it. Even though ideas are repeated, they're done in a different way to prove a new point. Yeah. And I think it's, it's really showcasing that like, you know, their, their tension is building and like later in the show when it kind of all, explodes um explodes beautifully yes (laughs) musically beautifully this is like you know part two of that conflict like we're seeing that tension is still there we're seeing it build a little bit and like it's it's set it's simmered down for now but like it it can only rise like yeah so then i'm gonna hand this over to you but what we have is the sequence dainty june and her farm boys and broadway and the context around it is the vaudeville show that they've been doing but at this point June is like 18 or so, maybe a little older. And they're all still pretending to be children in the Orpheum circuit. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about vaudeville in this era? Yeah, so I love this song. It's the silliest song. Um, It's so catchy, but it's so absurd to me because it's like these 18-year-olds or, you know, older teenagers, young adults, like dancing around in these ridiculously childlike costumes and it's and there's a cow it's just so absurd and we as an audience like don't take it seriously but rose is clearly you know pushing it like this it shows that like they've reached artistic stagnation like there's no other act like this is the same act they've been doing since june was like three um like they can't come up with anything new even though the industry has changed and yeah and not only i will say not only is the industry changing but it's fading. We're at an era where vaudeville is going downhill because films are starting to take over and around this age more more plays and we start to see kind of the start, the birth really in the later 30s of musicals and yeah. vaudeville kind of takes the back seat. Yes. So vaudeville had its heyday in like the, like the twenties basically. Um, and, or at least like in the context of the show, like it had been around before then, but it was, it was really roaring in the twenties. And then it kind of took a downturn, um, in the thirties and that, and like burlesque started, you know, becoming this like big thing as we see later in the show. Um, but things like follies and, and, shows that incorporated that had that full-length shows that incorporated um different elements of the arts were becoming more popular as vaudeville kind of died out Mm -hmm. and that paved the way for 
Broadway shows and um, book musicals, which mm -hmm. began in the late 1920s with Showboat. Um, so yeah, so, and I think with any artistic industry, like the arts are constantly changing. And if you're not able to change with them, you're never gonna be a successful artist. Um, I think, I mean, that's obviously a generalization, but it, in general, that's kind of how the arts works. Like if there, there's consistently an evolution in the arts and artists have to be adaptable and have to be able to kind of change with the times or else they're not successful. And I think this number is an indication that this act is not adaptable or this perhaps Rose is just not adaptable because yeah. again, they're doing the same. They've been doing the same act for like 15 years at this point yes, or whatever. Yeah. And I think to Rose, she's like, I know we have a good act. This act got me from this place to Orpheum to now this. And she's like, why, why change it? It works. And we can all understand that mentality. It's like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But that doesn't mean don't adapt. Yeah. And that's exactly. where it's so important and kind of unravels or lays the path out for how Gypsy unfolds. And it's beautiful but tragic so then getting back then into um the music is so they're at like another audition kind of like putting up the act and herbie rose and conversing and we get to see june and uh louise really interact in our views for the first time and we see them both interacting and the facade is dropped with if mama gets married and we see that what i love is this song is they're saying like oh they just want mama rose to marry herbie but each of them has different motives. Just For Louise, it's to have a father figure and to just have normalcy. But for June, she she's even sings the line, And oh, once and for all, I'd get mama out too. Because to her, the marriage means freedom, that she can do whatever the hell she wants. What do you think of the song, If Mama Got Married? I love the song. I've been saying that for every song, but I love the song. It, I think that's me with every podcast. <laughs> we get the impression throughout the show that like June and Louise aren't close. They're sisters. They've they've grown up, you know, in this very contained world on tour performing like basically their whole lives, but they don't have much of a, of a relationship. And I think the one thing they kind of can bond over is the fact that they're not happy with the current situation and they both kind of resent their mother, again, for different reasons. So to kind of see this like nice moment between these sisters, I think I really, I really like it. Time for them to showcase exactly what they want and why they're not happy with what's going on. And it's the whole show so far has been focused just on Rose and like how her daughters live through her and how she lives through her daughters. But now we get a chance to finally hear them speak their perspective. Yeah, and what's really interesting, especially with June, is for the most of the show, we're hearing June, her voice is pretending to be a child, or her singing voices. And then we realize through, if not we're married, that no, she's a she's like a mezzo-soprano, she's a belter, which we got a little bit in Broadway, but it's like nothing compared to what we're seeing. seeing yeah, here. and even in the song, like they, she puts on the voice, she's, she says, <laughs> Mama was married, there wouldn't be any more let me entertain you. Let like she's mimicking herself and mimicking her act. Like she's clearly not happy. And I think it's so funny because here she is sitting in this like ridiculous costume of this little girl. And we're like, oh, no, this is further evidence that like she is a grown woman. She should not have to be doing this if she doesn't want to. And I think it's also, it's so sad because she's just been offered this like chance to study 
and like have a real career. And Rose basically just said no. And she, that's, that's all she wants. Like June doesn't not want to be a performer. She just doesn't want to be a performer in the way that her mom wants her to. Yeah. And even I think June is willing to adapt or wants to adapt and she knows adapting is longevity, not, and she's seeing this go downhill and we see she makes a big decision in the next two songs. But what I also love again with this song is a lot of these, those songs are playful. They're very, the music really is this vaudeville style playfulness, but the lyrics undercut it. Like there's the, the line that says, um, that's very supportive of when you're like, oh, cute. They're like, they don't care that their mom's going to get married for the third time. But again, you realize it's like they're only supporting him and giving her away because it means a, a new life for them. They get to start entirely fresh. Yeah. We also, like, we already heard that Louise is not happy in Little Lamb. Yeah. And this is the first time we're hearing June come out and say she's not happy either. And I think that the same way Little Lamb kind of, like, raised questions as to what Louise is going to do. The song raises questions as to what June's going to do, which then we immediately see, but. <laughs> yeah. uh, was it musically one of my, my two favorite moments in this is uh, one, the harmonies on what's one more or less. Or what's one more or less. It's just like music to the ears. And then what the part that's always playful, but also funny is when they say it at the end. Mama gets married and married and married. Each of them, like Louise is taking married and June is taking aunt. And it just adds to the playful nature of this whole thing. But yeah, like you said, this leaves us wanting to know more. But then what I think is especially interesting afterwards is we don't immediately see what happens next. We get to see the point of view of the farm boys and specifically Tulsa, who kind of is a friend to Louise and probably Louise's saving grace, truly, I think, in this whole lifestyle. And Tulsa is finally admitting, again, I think Tulsa's like 20 years old at this point. He's starting his own act. And we get the song, All I Need Is The Girl. One thing that I think is so smart, and it's mainly with Sondheim, is the first time he says, um, there's only one thing I need. Got my tweet. Never says what he needs for the first part. And then when he says all he needs is the girl, it's like hidden in the music. We don't get this big high note or this big belt on the word girl to be like, oh, we finally finished it. It's just so sly in there. What do you think is important about the song All I Need Is The Girl, especially because it's the first time we're seeing the farm boys or this one farm boy. Yeah, I go back and forth on this song and how necessary it is because it's at first glance, it's like, oh, it's just a fun little production number with this random dude who comes out and like, okay, he's cute and he can dance. Like, great, I'm entertained. But I don't, at first glance, I don't necessarily see how it, furthers the plot but I I do think it's like this nice little dream sequence for June um to kind of see where she what could be um right after she's you know been basically her dream has been shut down by her mother and now this opportunity comes and she's imagining herself up there with him dancing and you know having their own act and it's this sweet little fantasy so I I think it's really I like to see it from her perspective yeah and it's that's I, I do agree that the 
song itself, like you said, at first glance, is not necessary, but when it connects to the next scene is when you kind of go, this song is necessary because it leads us into the propelling action of the act on closer. Um, One thing that I always think of in this moment is not only the connection with um, Tulsa and Louis just being friends, but I always think when- She appears all in white. I take her hand. I I do think Louise is in love with Tulsa. Really? I always think she is or like has some sort of romantic connection. And that's why she kind of starts to see herself up there as well. Like dancing with Tulsa. Just in in that moment when they are dancing. Because then we also see Louise has the first moment of happiness in the entire show. And that that's the moment I think is when she realizes that she really cares and loves him because to her Tulsa means happiness. Yes. So I think I agree with, I think Tulsa to both girls represents a way out. And I don't necessarily think it has to do with him. I think it has to do with what he can provide for them, which is freedom. Um, So I think for June, again, it's like he's, he's giving her this potential opportunity to, to create their own act and to become a star on her own terms. And I think for Louise, she's seeing like this normalcy, this other opportunity that could be if she wasn't in this position with her mother yeah oh absolutely and it's also when you said like to them that Tulsa means freedom it's also kind of in a way like with Rose and Herbie because for Rose Herbie means freedom to excel that she's not going to be trapped in the lower level of vaudeville that for her with Herbie she can propel the same way June can propel out of vaudeville so it's an interesting duality. Yeah. Um, so this was actually also true. June actually did a loop with one of the chorus boys. Um, she was 16. And uh, according to Wikipedia, Rose reported him to the police, which is funny, to get him back, to get June back. So, what stage moms do. <laughs> which exactly <laughs> is, so we'll talk about in a quick moment. But what I love, the last thing I'll mention is um, that we get a big tap number I love a tap number. And what I love is through the tap numbers, just the way the strings build, it just built, it's just such great music, which is like, I know we've obviously been giving probably more credit to the book and the lyrics, but the music in the show is beyond stunning. And I think where this song is one of the few moments where the orchestra is showcased alone during the dance break and it's just spectacular. But so then, like you had mentioned, Tulsa and Louise elope. June. Uh, God damn it. <laughs> I, did, I even had it written down as June. I can't get them straight. I feel like I've been saying the wrong name this entire time. I'm always like Laura Benanti and the other. <laughs> it's really, uh, Tulsa and June elope. And what's heartbreaking is Herbie and Louise have to deliver the news to um, to Rose. And it's all tragic, but then as an audience member, we reap the benefits of it. Because we get this, we do get this beautiful monologue where Rose is like, well, my mother left me, your father left me, the second husband left me, and now June left me. And she's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wallow. And then it turns dark and we get, an amazing act one closer with everything's coming up roses. 
I had a dream. Rose just, a dream about you. rather than adapting, shifts and just says, okay, Louise, I'm going to make you the star. And what's so sad about this whole song is nobody asked Louise if she wanted to be a star. She just wanted normal scene. In every production, you just see Louise cling so tight to Herbie because they ju- they really see a monster become unleashed. What do you think is so mesmerizing about this song in this moment in the show? Rose isn't even trying to hide the fact that she's being manipulative. She truly doesn't care what anyone else thinks. This is about her. This isn't about Louise. This isn't about June. She's going to do anything to become a star herself. And yeah, it really just shows her egocentricity. Um, I think this song is important because like in, in the structure of a golden age musical, the act one finale needs to set up what happens in act two. Like it can't Mm -hmm. be like this happy number because then the audience will go home. Um, There has to be some sort of like tension, some sort of question, something to, to be resolved in the second act. So I think setting it up this way makes act two so much more important. Yeah, no, it truly does. Yeah, it sets up all these different questions. Like, you know, will Herbie stick around? Will Louise stick around? Um, What would make him leave? Like, is this what finally makes Herbie leave? We don't know, like at this point. Um, Will is, can Louise handle fame? Like, is she talented? We've seen her sing. We know she's talented, but we also know she doesn't want it. So, and like, is Rose crazy? she lost it. The answer is yes to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so before we continue on in this discussion with um, everything's coming up roses, I do have a quote from Stephen Sondheim himself, the God Almighty, uh, about this song, but specifically relating to Ethel Merman, who originated it. And he says, the problem was that Ethel Merman had been brought up in farce musicals as a low comedian, an expert one, I hasten to add and had never been tested as an actress. We had no reason to believe that she could do anything but brag her way through a show. I decided therefore to utilize the quality of the railroad scene and suggest to Jewel that we write her a typical Merman number. Thus the one tone lyric of Roses, which which repeats a single idea unremittingly. The images derived from childhood and show business the only references Rose is capable of making. As that happened, Ethel turned out to be a better actress than we anticipated. She was able to tap into the reverse of anger that fuels every comedian high and low and ultimately deliver. Which I just, first of all, again, like even when I think of Ethel Merman, I do think of like uh, anything goes or there's no business like show business. And then I do forget like how deep and dark this character is and that she was able to tap that in. And especially with Rose, I love when she says um, the images derived from childhood and show business because that's Rose is so tunnel vision. She only knows show business. So she can't see a way out, even though Herbie's like, hey, Rose, here's the way out. I have it laid out. She's like, can't see it. What's happening? And especially you really see it at um, the, in the end when 
she shifts to say, um, Mama is gonna say to it, And that's really, we were already off to the races the moment the tremolo started. But to me at that moment, it's like, and we're off the races. And we're off the track. Yeah, she's she's just going with it. And she, in, I'm not sure, most or every like staging I've seen of this like she's uh Louise and Herbie are like standing in the back and Rose is like pacing in front of them she's not even looking at them she's singing to herself which again I think just really (laughs) emphasizes the fact that she is like out to do what she wants to do and she's not going to be stopped I love Um, this song it's I I know I said that every time but it's such a powerful song it really shows how how layered Rose is as a character and like how dark she truly can be she can get so dark and it's always interesting it's just the song title itself because it plays on the idiom like oh everything's coming up roses everything's beautiful but it's roses is possessive and it's basically saying like everything's coming up for rose even though she's like louise it's for you but to me the most exciting part of this song is and it's probably the same you'd agree is coming up roses and daffodils everything's coming up sunshine and santa claus you see the orchestra just kind of it gets bigger but the orchestra slows down it's like saying the orchestra is going like whoa lady what is happening and she ends on this big note with orchestra gets very dark in its brass and it's just amazing i urge though every listener to go back and watch the Tony performance of Patti Lapone because she gets a standing ovation the moment she hits the last note. And it's, it's like so a good. 30 second ovation. You kind of mentioned with act one closers, but why do you think this song is the perfect place for the show to end the act? It sets up so many questions. We've seen like the tension building between the characters up to this point, And then we kind of see it, it sort of start to explode right before. Um, but she cuts that off and she's like, this is what we're going to do. And I think that just lends itself to even more building tension in act two. So I, I know what, like when I see this, I'm excited to see what's going to happen, even though I know what's going to happen. Um, I'm excited to see all those, those questions resolved in act two. Like if I was a typical theater goer and I went to see this, like I would be excited to, to stick around for the second act versus like, if it kind of ended on a more positive note, I would be less likely to care as much about act two. Yeah. I I totally agree. And so with it being an act one closer, we are going to take a quick break here and we'll tune in next week. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Broadway Babble with me, Matt Barry. A special thanks to Hannah Weaver for coming on to this week's episode. And remember, if you enjoyed it, please rate, subscribe, and leave a review. And follow us on Facebook at Broadway Babble. And drop a comment on what show you want to hear me talk about next. Stay tuned for next week when we dissect Act 2 of Gypsy. Thanks. Thanks.